Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore, the finest place online and in person for all the best Ohio State apparel and MinutemanTickets.com, all your ticket needs, a national selection with the local feel. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, and it is the new guy, Buckeye Talk. Hello, you know bro. me, you know me, but did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's not me doing an impersonation. That's a real live second full-time employee on the podcast. Introduce yourself, new guy. Hello, world. My name is Steven Means. I am new, and when I say new, I mean literally like 96 hours new. Uh, you can follow me at Steven underscore Means. That is S-T-E-P-H-E-N underscore M-E-A-N-S. And uh, you're going to be dealing with me for a while because I am now the lead beat reporter for The Ohio State University. Steven, when do you think you will leave Cleveland.com? Will it be soon? No. Okay, then I'm excited. <laughs> you tried to get that on record. I just well, yeah. Anyway, this is I'm for the lawsuit when you attempt to go to a new job. I will play this podcast. All right. So um, I think it's fair to say that I would characterize fans at the moment um, as Jerry and me get some jelly beans in the background. It's all right, Jerry. We get some, we had some too. Thank right. you. Oh, yeah. No secrets. <laughs> I think, I, I think like to say that people are freaking out would be a fair assessment. And you can follow us, of course. Um, you can tweet us at Buckeye Talk Pod. We have 45 questions from you guys. You can always uh, email us at Buckeye Talk, at Buckeye Talk Pod at gmail.com. Tracy Wolf. Tracy's a good person. At T Wolf, there's an H in there. Where is the heart of this team? I think Tracy was here today. I don't think I've ever witnessed a game in the shoe that was so soul-sucking. Horrible atmosphere for the recruits. Why does this team lack a leader to rally the troops? Okay. I would like to address that by saying, it's a good question by Tracy, but I have witnessed a game this soul-sucking. And everybody, when you have a game like this, thinks this is the first time this has ever happened. Like, I've been here for games when Jim Trestle teams against the Mac like looked like they were going to lose, and they won. There was a game here against Cal, I think, in 2012 in Urban Meyer's first year that was like 
they're going to lose to Cal, and I think Cal was like 3-9 and nine that year. This happens. Now, the reason people are freaked out a little bit is that this happened at a time when you were looking for a bounce back. Like, there's a lot of these sort of randomly thrown in, maybe once a year, maybe once every two years, where it's a home game that Ohio State wins that feels like a loss. But things are amplified at the moment because so often, and I wrote about it a lot this week, and I predicted it, so often after a loss, they come back and they stomp somebody. And they did not stomp Nebraska today. Not close. Um, Steven, did this feel soul-sucking to you? I'm going to say soul-sucking. I think you know, part of that is she probably watched the game and saw it. And coming off of last week's game where you lose at Purdue and it kind of shifts some things where at first you were number two in the country and it looks like you're probably going to get a berth in the college football playoff. Now that changes a lot of things. And in this game type of game, yeah, you probably needed to blow them out just for the sake of, you know, the committee to see, okay, this team is still a team that we should consider in the hunt down the stretch. It's, you know, some things shake up as these next three weeks will go. But I'm not going to say that, you know, the heart is gone. I'll just simply say that since Urban Meyer has been here, he has had some extremely talented football teams where even if they did have some mistakes, they were covered up a lot more by the talent. Now, yep. not to say this isn't a talented football team, just in comparison to, let's just say, 2014 for that matter. Even the very next year when they lost to Michigan State, it was, okay, that team's still talented enough for the next week they're going to come out and they're going to kick Michigan in the butt. This time, that's not necessarily the case. And a lot of those issues that they had that, well, you play a team like Purdue who's better than Nebraska, you lose that game this time around. No, you don't lose the game, but it's a game from – wire to wire pretty much and you've said that we, we did a vi- couple videos after the game the idea uh, this was a really good game for them to have after Purdue like they're kind of lucky that Nebraska's not better like uh, Urban Meyer is sort of playing the they're a really good two win card I understand playing that card it's not a great card it's like maybe like a it's not a face card it's like an eight right like it's not a, it's an okay card it's not a three but like a pair of eights isn't going to get you anything no so like to be like Boom! Good two-win team. Like, we're not really buying that. Um, I think they still have a chance to maybe get it figured out, but I'm not sure. But I have to say it softly because I don't think anyone wants to hear me say that. And we'll get to these, like, a thousand more questions about this. So we'll have plenty of time for people to yell at me. Eric Bronstein, E. Bronstein, always ask good questions. Putting the fine point on it, Eric. What's more realistic at this point, finishing 11-1? and one? We're finishing nine and three. So basically the question is, are they going to beat Michigan State and Michigan or lose to both Michigan State and Michigan, which is more realistic, Steven? I still think 11 and one is more realistic. The Michigan game is at home, so there is a bonus there. I don't think they're going to lose to Michigan State, but I think of the two games, that's the more dangerous game. I think the Michigan game is dangerous just because it's a rivalry game, and there's going to be a lot at stake to say they do beat Michigan State, and Michigan that handles their business the next two weeks. But at the same time, 9-3 and three is a little – that means – I don't think they're going to lose both of those games. So I'll say 11-1 and one is a lot more realistic than e Bronsty is putting it to us because, like, a lot of people said, if you would say, what's Ohio State's regular season record going to be? I think most people would say 10-2. and two. Yeah. They're going to lose That's one a lot more. I, yeah, 10-2 and two is probably more realistic than 9-3. and three. But e Bronsty, see, he put it to us. He did what I like to do, which is you take away the obvious answer right. and you force people to answer. Andrew Kopersky 
is going to make me feel bad about myself. At Kopersky underscore A-N. I'm not a big fan of negative fan or overreaction, even if it's inevitable at Ohio State. But on one of the podcasts at the end of last year, see, don't don't throw my words in my face. I wasn't there, so I'm not lying yeah, over any of that. You're sucked in now, new guy. I'm dragging you down with me. But on one of the podcasts at the end of last year, you said to, something to the effect of, buckle up because this team is poised to be awesome in the near future. Now, having failed to utterly destroy a lousy Nebraska team, as they have done in the past to teams following a loss, is it not fair to say the program is trending down? Here's why I said that. Their 2017 and 2018 recruiting classes were both ranked number two in the country. They actually had a little bit of a lull, uh, like 15-16, I think. Um, So this year, it's these sophomores who are the 2017 guys, Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda, Baron Browning, these guys. And then the 2018 guys aren't playing yet. But I thought the 2017 guys were going to start establishing themselves, and I made a million comparisons between the 2017 recruiting class and the 2013 recruiting class. And the Mm -hmm. 2013 recruiting class, and you know what that class is, won the national title as sophomores. Pretty much all in the NFL at this point. It's a high bar, my friend. It is a high bar. Now, the difference is that team, and we've said this a million times, that 2014 team had some very – Key seniors, Michael Bennett, Duran Grant, Evan Spencer, Devin Smith. They had some remnants of the Trestle era who filled it, who were very key seniors to help these very talented sophomores. They are missing some of that with this senior class. There's only one senior on defense who plays at all. It's Dante Booker, and he barely plays. Um, They have the receivers at receiver. I'm sorry. They have the seniors at receiver. But beyond that, it's basically Isaiah Prince at right tackle and the receivers, and that's it. They don't have that same kind of steadying group at the top, and I think they've missed that a little bit. And so I will say I think these 2017 players have not developed exactly like I thought they would. I thought it was very possible by now that Baron Browning and Jeffrey Okuda would be tearing things up at an all-Big Ten level. I thought it was possible Chase Young would be dominating things by now. I thought it was possible J.K. Dobbins would look like the best running back in the country. These are guys who are the keys to that 2017 recruiting class, the current sophomores. And they don't look that way. It doesn't mean they're bad. It means they have not progressed and they have not gotten the help from the upperclassmen that those other guys did in the 2013 class. So I think some of that is also the JT Barrett factor. Dwayne Haskins is a better quarterback than JC Barrett. Let's just better thrower. Yeah, he's a, from from okay from that standpoint. Yes, he's a better thrower than JT Barrett. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. But JT Barrett's leadership for starters, and on top of the fact that with JT Barrett there was a complete game from the option standpoint. He'd run the read option, and he could also throw it a little bit. With Dwayne Haskins, you know what's happening. He's going to throw the ball. Hence, why he threw the ball seventy three times last week. And so I think you. From the offensive standpoint, when you take away an element where a defense kind of knows that, like today, he scrambled. Yeah, he did. Terrible. He went three yards, and with no no defender around him whatsoever, he decided to slide. That's a pocket quarterback to me. That's like the, something I would have expected like Peyton Manning to do. And uh, he's Peyton Manning. Yeah. That's who he is. And it's, it's, it's great if you're running a pro-style system, but they don't want a pro-style system. They're trying to. Yeah, and it, <laughs> they're not doing very well at it. I think that plays a role in it when there's a whole element of your offense that's just you know is not going to happen along with the fact that Haskins is not the voice that Barrett is. I think that also plays a role in it as well. So I, I will say, but a lot of a lot of concerns that people have 
those concerns are, are on the defensive side of the ball. And if, if some of these sophomores were playing out of their mind right now, Isaiah Pryor is like a top 50 recruit All right. and a sophomore. And so I'm, I'm looking stuff up. I'm, uh, I'm sandbagging here a little bit while I look stuff up. My finger is bleeding, and, and I'm like paging through on my phone. I'm getting blood on my screen. Jesus. It's kind of like a Halloween, like a spooky thing. All right. Chase Young, number seven player in the class of 2017, number seven overall. Number eight overall player, Jeffrey Okuda. Number 11 overall player, Baron Browning. Number 17 overall player, Sean Wade. Number 63 overall player, Isaiah Pryor. Number 68 overall player, Haskell Garrett. Number 126 overall player, Brendan White. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I'm only counting defensive guys because Wyatt Davis is in there, Tate Martell's in there. That's seven players on this current defense who were top 125. White was 126. Top 126 overall recruits in the class of 2017. A lot of them are playing. Young is starting. Wade is starting. Okuda is basically in the starting rotation at corner. Browning is sharing middle linebacker with Tuff Borland. Brendan White played today. Isaiah Pryor has been starting. They're all playing. But if any of them were looking like the next Darren Lee, if any of them were looking like the next Joey Bosa, right, it would make a difference. And I'm not criticizing them. I think the point that I want to make is that that was an exceptional 2013 class, and they had guys. And Darren Lee wasn't a star that whole year. He really showed out in the playoff. And then in 15 was really good. I remember writing before the Alabama game, like, Darren Lee is, like, ready to do something because he had reached that point. So my point is this. This is a really talented group. They're second-year guys. I think I would say Browning and Young and Okuda and Wade and those guys, even though they're playing, they are not making maybe the high-level impact, the all-Big Ten-level impact as second-year players that I maybe thought they could make. But if the question is about my prediction, like, get ready, they're going to be good, they're going to be talented, and if the question is, is the program trending down now, 2017 and 2018 classes were both number two in the country. Right now, those guys are sophomores and freshmen. Next year, they're going to be juniors and sophomores. Which means a lot of them will be on the field. I don't think it's trending down. No. So... I know people are worried about Urban Meyer. I know people are worried about like long-term stability and all this stuff. I, I think, if anything, it's that they're in a spot where some of these guys who are going to make a difference is just too early for them. It's not that like they've peaked and are on the way down. It's that these guys – and I'm making a thing with my hand. Steven, you can tell the people, look, my hand is like going up a roller coaster hill. Yeah. It's, it's a little weird. I'm not going to lie to you. So we're going up the roller – we're still going – I thought maybe they'd be at the top of the hill, ready for the ride. And it's it just turns, a really slow roller coaster. It's really, it's one of those like it just it, it got stuck a little bit yeah. on the way up, and they had to come rescue people. So I don't think again, and this is okay, this is okay to do this, but it's like again, they need to be better right now. Like program trending down, I would disagree with. How many of Ohio State's best twenty-two players aren't starting at Buckeye nine one three one? And Alan Kitchen, that troublemaker, said, I second this question. And Dan Dudley, that troublemaker, said, as do I. A lot of people like Brendan White today, huh? 
I tell you, Brent, Brendan White has flipped the script for everybody. So here's where I would say on that. I think Brendan White might be one of them, but I think Brendan White might be ready to roll. And we have a million Brendan White questions, so we'll, stay, we'll save Stephen's comments on this because he talked with Brendan White and is going to be writing a Brendan White story for Monday. So we'll get to Brendan White. But I do think there are some other people. I do think maybe Baron Browning should play more at middle linebacker, should play more than he is right now. With Tough Borland, that's one of my big questions with Bill Davis. This guy is a super talented guy who doesn't play that much. I think maybe on the offensive line, Urban Meyer had said, Wyatt Davis is getting ready to play. He's in this class. He's a redshirt freshman, second-year guy. I think it's possible he might be one of their best interior linemen, and he's not playing yet. I don't know that I think it like all over the field because they do rotate a couple spots. Uh, I think maybe at defensive tackle, they have some 2018 guys at defensive tackle who are really going to make a difference. Go, you go ahead. Go ahead. We're fine. Uh, we're good. Okay. I'll be coming in shortly. All right. Those are the vacuum guys. You guys know them by now. So, like, I do think maybe there, although I thought Davon Hamilton made a good play right now. Um, sometimes Urban is loyal to seniors, and I know people are older players, and I know people want to throw them away, but, like, Pete Werner beat out Dante Booker. And, and Keandre Jones, and he was a younger guy. So I don't think they're afraid to play younger guys who earn it. Um, I just think maybe some of these guys haven't come as far as some people want them to have, how far they, people want them to have come. But like, it's not like a big secret of. Brendan White, I think, is a specific example. I'm not sure there's like seven secret guys over in the Woody who are practicing their butts off every day, and the coaches are like, no, you're not playing. No, and I think Brendan White also just took advantage of an opportunity that was just presented to him. It's not like, yes, there was a little bit of buildup, but there was also a need for him to do that this week. Like Jordan Fuller got ejected from the game in the first half. So now there's a need for somebody to step up into that role and play it just as well as Jordan Fuller does. So it's a combination of that things. I'm not going to say that, you know, there's no, there's not 22 guys who aren't starting yeah. who should probably be starting. There's on any team, there's probably four or five guys that, on other teams that could be starting. But at the same time, I think it's also about opportunity. And maybe some of these guys mentally aren't ready yet. That is how Urban feels, that, that a lot of these guys mentally aren't ready yet. Yes, the talent is there, but there's also a thinking element that maybe one of the coaches staff just doesn't feel comfortable yet putting them on the field. At sweet underscore morgue, obviously, is Brendan White going to start next week? That is the obvious question of the moment. Sweet morgue and many others asked it. Stephen Means talked with Brendan White. Did Brendan White tell you if he's going to start next week? No. Nobody <laughs> came out and went, yes, Brendan White will be the starting safety next week. I think it would be a great idea to start him in Fuller. Obviously, a lot of you think so as well. I will say this. He seems ready and willing to play in that role. It seems like they've tried him at a lot of different positions since he's gotten here. And... They and him have found a position where he feels comfortable and can impact this team in the most positive way. So that elongated answer strictly means no. No one came out and said he is going to start next week. Would it be a smart idea? Yeah, probably. But we don't know that yet. I think he's going to start. Like they've been looking for it. They've been looking for somebody. Pryor's been there most of the time. Um, it, it is a balance because like – Sometimes you're looking for a playmaker, but they're not they're not really looking for a playmaker. They're looking for a don't screw up guy. And 
someone who can make plays within the confines of not being out of control and missing tackles. And it seemed like he walked a pretty good line on Saturday of being aggressive. He made a stop down in the red zone that was really important. He came up and made plays, but he did not seem out of control in a year when we have seen many safeties flying into the picture and flying past the feet of a ball carrier and missing a tackle because they're not breaking down and making a play. Yeah, he talked about that as well. Like, yeah, he had 13 tackles, but he didn't just go get 13 tackles. It came to him because he did, like he said, he did his job. And he didn't go out there looking to make, like you said, he didn't go out there looking to make a play. The plays came to him. And he made the plays that came to him and did the job to the best of his ability. And it led to him getting 13 tackles and leading the team today. Acquiescence is fatal. Our guy. I still don't really understand what that means. It's too smart for me. On the broadcast, Brady Quinn kept mentioning Ohio State blocking issues relating to pad level and not getting low enough. With having a historically tall O-line, does their height contribute to their struggles to get leverage? I think it does at guard. I think they have, their guards are too tall. So, like, Wyatt Davis isn't as tall. <laughs> so, Wyatt Davis was in there today. Urban Meyer said all week that Wyatt Davis was going to play this week. And Urban Meyer does this sometimes. He's like, a guy's going to play. And it's like, well, if he's going to play, that means someone else isn't going to play. Right. Who's he replacing? And then it turns out, well, nobody got replaced the guy, they just meant that like he was good enough to play, but they didn't actually play him. So why Urban kept, Meyer kept saying he's going to play. So he didn't take a snap at guard. It was like, well, if he's playing, then he's probably playing for Demetrius Knox. He didn't do that. He did come in as the jumbo tight end in the red zone. So I do think that they have some guys playing out of position at guard. And we have talked about it many times before. They have had all-American quality guards here in Billy Price and Pat Elfline. They do not have that this year. If you want to point – they have tall tackles. tackles. Tackles are tall. They're supposed to be. If you want to point to the number one spot on this team where maybe – and I always say it, they're a half-step short talent-wise compared to the past. Guard is where I am. Guard is where I have gone all year, and it's where I will continue to go. Anthony Clausen, should we just accept the fact – this may really be a Peach Bowl, Cotton Bowl, maybe Rose Bowl team because they're not ready to be an elite team, or is the playoff still realistic? I find myself lowering the standard every time I see this team. We answer this as Michigan leads Penn State 21-0 in the third quarter. Steven, this was your historic first game that you'll tell your grandchildren about. The first game I covered at Ohio Stadium, did that look like a playoff team to you? That team's not getting in the playoffs because if they did, they're, getting, they're, they're not going to fare well. Which is okay. Which is fine. First of all, we're not going to act like the Rose Bowl is just some, you know, pity patty bowl. That's a pretty prestigious bowl. That's the granddaddy of them all. But it's can this team talent-wise get into the playoffs? Yes. Like he just said, we're seeing Michigan is up 21 to 0 as we're saying this right now. Will things fall into favor for them to get into the playoffs, I think, is a better question to ask. And the way this game is looking right now and the way that they play today, no, it doesn't look like they're going to be a playoff team this year. They just have to beat Michigan. Like, and Michigan State. You know, I, I, yeah, I've talked about it a lot, like the idea of step-back years. Sometimes you have those years, I, you know. There's, there's a difference between, like, are they a playoff-quality team and are, are they going to make the playoff? That's kind of two different questions. Because, yeah. like, in 2015, they were a playoff-quality team, but, but they didn't make the playoff. 2016, it turns out they weren't a playoff-quality team, but they did make the playoff. And there's some question in here somewhere about, 
Like, I don't want to make the playoff because we'll get our butts kicked, which is my least favorite question in the world. Like, it's not you, really even a question. It's just more of a fear. But, t- but do you think that's a reasonable fear? I hate that fear. You never, like, would you rather not make the playoff? Honestly, I think that's an irrational fear because you never know what can happen. They won the national championship when everybody thought Alabama was going to blow them out. Hmm. And then Oregon was supposed to blow them out. And yet Ezekiel Elliott pretty much put his stamp on it that he was an NFL running back. You got it. You take your shot. You take your shot, and if you lose, so be it. Like the, the idea of like I'm, I would rather us go nine and three than eleven and one pick up picked by Michigan. I would rather us go nine and three. Man, Michigan's good. <laughs> I would rather Ohio State go nine and three and win a and win a bowl game that doesn't matter than go eleven and one and lose in the playoff. It's just like I don't like that's wrong. I, so no. there's no point in me discussing that. If you want to think that, I'm not going to change your mind. No. But I just I just don't think that's a way to live your life. Um, we'll get to some more here. Nikki Unders, the run game was improved, but the offensive play calling still feels clunky and disjointed at times. So you think that there's friction between Dan Meyer and what to call and when, and the other potential expl- explanations theories. Yeah, the explanation is that they still don't know exactly what to do with Dwayne Haskins, and they're still figuring it out. I asked a bunch of the guys today the idea of, and there are other questions about this. That was Dwayne Haskins' worst game. That was his, his worst game. He looked off. Did you think he looked off? Yeah, he completed a lot of passes that probably shouldn't have been completed, and he threw a lot of them over guys' heads. Even the pick just didn't look right. He, from a whole standpoint, this was clearly the worst game he's had as a starting quarterback of Ohio State. So is it coincidental that he had that on a day when they emphasized the run game? Like, you know what, you're not going to play 12 perfect games? Or is it somehow connected? I'm not exactly sure how it would be connected because my belief is that, that there is an offense out there for them that is a, a power run game that's not connected to RPOs and reads and a pro-style passing game. I think they can connect those things. Now, today, there's a great debate, and I'm writing a story about RPOs, like whether they even called a single RPO today. The offensive linemen were very excited about the fact they just ran the ball with run plays. I think they're going to continue with that but I think also they, there's a chance they can continue with that and Dwayne Haskins can rip it. So if you, if you take a consistent run game where the offensive line has confidence and the running backs are hitting holes and breaking tackles and couple that with the Dwayne Haskins that we have seen for most of the year, that's not the Dwayne Haskins we saw today. Steven, if they do that, how good could they be? I think they can be really good, but I think the key thing you said is consistency of the running game between Dobbins and Weber you have 300 yard games between the two of them and neither one of them has had the type of year that you know you expected for at least one of them to have like Dobbins had a great day today but this hasn't been the norm for him so I think that's where it started if their running game isn't great you're going to see Purdue again where you know Haskins has to throw the ball 73 times and yeah he competed a lot of passes but he also threw the ball a lot I think so the key here is not necessarily, yeah, Haskins has to play better, but also if you Ohio State doesn't have a consistent running game, everything else is going to fall flat from that. Joseph Sura at Joseph M. Sura. Should we take it as a positive sign that the running game did better today, or should we be a bit skeptical because Nebraska is a crummy 2-17 and 17 with a mediocre run defense? I think the thing that you should be positive about is the idea that they, they, they adjusted some things schematically. I thought the jumbo package in the red zone was a big step forward uh, for the run game inside the twenty. Um, and I just thought the thing that I thought was missing the most from this offense, and I tweeted this during the game, is just J.K. Dobbins hitting the hole and going. And J.K. Dobbins had not popped anything this year. He had not popped anything. And he's not an 80-yard-at-a-time guy, but he is a 
10-yard, 12-yard, 17-yard at a time guy. And he had not been that guy. Because I feel at his best, he's slithery. He turns his body. He doesn't need a huge hole, but he needs a tiny crease, and he pops it, and he's to the second level. And all of a sudden, on second and six, you got 12, and away you go. And that has not been what they were doing. He had a 16-yard carry to get him down to the 10, and the next play ran in for a touchdown from the 10-yard line. That was that J.K. Dobbins to me. The 42-yard run to help put it away. That was J.K. Dobbins to me. I feel like that J.K. Dobbins has been missing. And so, yes, Michigan and Michigan State have much better defenses than Nebraska. But to see that J.K. Dobbins against anybody, I thought was a very important thing. Yeah, that's the key plus. Like, coming into this game, his longest run was 21 yards. He doubled that today and scored off of it. So, yes, Nebraska didn't have the best rush defense in the world, but – just like you said, just to see that, just to see it, that it's possible for him to do that. Now you can start to put it together and, okay, let's see you do it against a team who does have some type of quality rush defense. And let's see if he can continue this for the rest of the season. And hopefully you can get Mike Wepper going because he started off kind of slow today. He finished with 91 yards, but for the majority of the first half, he was pretty absent and fumbled twice, actually. Somebody asked me this. I can't find it. Someone said, why do you hate Mike Weber? Because I said during the game they should play Dobbins more. <laughs> and I've said that on the podcast a couple of times. Like, I don't think it should be a rotation. I think it should be two-thirds, one-third Dobbins. And then I was like, put Dobbins in, put Dobbins in. They put Weber in, and Weber had that huge 37-yard run. I was like, man, here's what I think about those two. I think when there's a big hole, Mike Weber's good. Mm-hmm. I think even – so he had the one big run. So the one big run he had – there was actually a hole there, and I thought he was a little slow to the hole. And then when he got to the hole, he dropped that spin move. And then he got a great block on the edge from Paris Campbell, and he bounced, and he was gone. And I think on that exact same play, J.K. Dobbins would have gotten to that hole and actually, by getting to the hole, probably would have run for fewer yards on that play than Mike Weber did. But I think probably would have executed what you're supposed to do there a little more effectively. I feel like J.K. Dobbins, huge hole, boom, he's through it 13 yards. Mike Weber is like late to the hole, spin move, gets the block and gets 37. It was like, wow. But there was a part of that play that was like, well, that still wasn't exactly how it was supposed to go. And then Weber had the other play where he strung it out wide, stopped, cut back against the grain, came all the way back to the other side of the field. And again, like whatever, it was a 25-yard run out of nothing. But in that moment, he bounced something. He bounces. When there's not a clear hole there, he bounces outside. And he'll get strung out much more than J.K. Dobbins does. I feel like J.K. Dobbins is significantly better than him at hitting a small hole and going. And I feel like Weber needs a bigger hole, and if it's not there, he's more likely to get stopped for nothing or string it out wide and get knocked for a loss. He also might be more likely as a result to break something big, yeah. but I like J.K. I'd rather take 6, 8, 11, 12, Your 9, 6, rather than 1, 0, minus 1, 37, 2, minus 1. The problem with J.K. is that I feel like there have been so few holes for him, he had not been getting its first and 10, boom, J.K. Dobbins hole, 8 yards, here we go. That was back today, and that is the best back for this offense, in my opinion. J.K. Dobbins hitting a hole, getting seven, eight yards a crack, and they're moving. They get up-tempo, and away they go. That's the best back. That's better than Mike Weber because Mike Weber, again, is a little more boom or bust. We just hadn't seen that J.K. Dobbins as much. He was back today. 
If that J.K. Dobbins is back, that's who I want on the field. If that J.K. Dobbins shows up against Michigan and Michigan State, we could be talking about a playoff. But that's a soft. That's soft. Don't don't quote me on that. Stephen Means says Ohio State's going to the playoff, <laughs> and that's it for Buckeye Talk. Listen, I, my daughter has a play tonight. i got to get out of here soon. Zach Dixon at Z-A-C-D-X-N. Does this team need to, to change scheme and personnel or just make tweaks? If they only need to make tweaks, they have a chance to fix the flaws. If the team needs to change, it seems too late in the season. Thoughts? So listen, they've made changes. We're going to emphasize this point. They've changed their defense. They played a lot of off coverage today. They played a lot more zone coverage. They are no longer an all-or-nothing press man team. They have acknowledged that in an attempt, and I'm going to write about this, in an attempt to stop giving up big plays, they are now giving up more underneath plays. They are now giving up more eight-yard throws on third and six because they don't want to get beat over the top. They have changed. This offensive scheme today that they did away with RPOs and they called more straight run calls, that is a change. If you are wanting change, they have changed. They're not going to drastically change personnel in the middle of the year. It's not Urban Meyer's way. I thought getting rid of the RPOs was, that was number one on my list after the Purdue loss. I had five drastic changes to consider. Number one was scrap RPOs. They scrapped RPOs. So they just have to marry the Dwayne Haskins pass game to this run game. That's their best shot. But if your general problem, if your general complaint is they need to make changes and they haven't, they have. Just Know that we just have not seen them work. It doesn't against well, a but listen, Stephen. Quality team. Are people asking for changes that work? Or are they just asking for changes? Doesn't, if you're just asking for changes, the, what's the point of changing if it's not going to work? You change might as well stay the same. Change for change sake. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let, we're going to end. We're going to end with this. Okay, and there's a million good questions. Maybe I'll get to some of these in a hey Doug early in the week. People are questioning this team's heart. We'll go back to what Tracy Wolf started with, and, and a lot of other people are asking about this as well. Um, they're asking about heart. They're asking about leadership. I thought this was going to be a young, hungry team ready to seize the moment. With all the seniors they lost last year, I feel like they have not, some of those young guys have not seized it as much as I thought. I will say, and this is a classic thing that happens in sports. It happens in life. Sometimes you appreciate people more when they're gone. I think people, I think fans, there were a lot of aspects of JT Barrett that people were tired of. The running quarterback, and now all of a sudden you're dying for the running quarterback. Mm-hmm. And we saw in Ohio State videos, we saw JT Barrett and his halftime speeches and pregame speeches in the locker room ad nauseum. When things weren't going right on the sideline, we saw JT Barrett walk up and down that sideline and tap offensive linemen on the head and make sure everybody was okay. Right now, when things are not going well and this team gets to the sideline, I'm not sure who walks up and down the sideline and taps people on the head and says, it's going to be okay. And I think if you were ever weary of JT Barrett and his role in that regard, I don't know right now who that is. And I am going to ask Urban Meyer about this on Monday. I'm talking this out as I, as I podcast, which you know we like to do. Steven, did that, when you saw this team get down, this team was trailing at halftime, did it look like a team that had heart to you or watching them this way? 
Did you ever question, like, man, what's up with them? Why isn't somebody rallying the troops? I think this was a team that was still feeling the effects of something that was two weeks ago. Even at today's school session, they're still talking about, oh, because it's been... I think the fact that they lost and then they couldn't get right back at it. Like, when they lost in 2015, the very next week they were right back on the field. This time around, they lost and they had to wait two weeks. And so, no, when you don't have that experience and that leadership... Guys, don't go. Hey, we gotta get back to get back to work. No, you sit there and you think about it, and you think about it, and you think about it, and it rolls over into your very next game. And so it 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 felt like after listening to that skull session, there was a lot of not so much. Listen, we gotta get back to work, but more of like we just couldn't wait to get back on the field so we could not have that feeling of losing again, which is a bad way to play any sport. I, it felt like for the first quarters and a half or so they were more playing not to lose than they were playing to win and it kind of showed with how some some things played out in the game so I'm not going to say there was no heart I just think nobody on this team has won anything if we're going to be honest no one has won anything because even in, in they won the cotton ball they won the yeah, cotton ball you, yeah. get, you get a trophy for that yeah good job you get a ring good for you it's your you name a, on it yay yay has, has some sparkly stones yay YMCA we all get a trophy wow you call the cotton ball trophy a uh, YMCA we all get a trophy yeah, trophy yeah but I mean you know what I mean like that's not at the end of the day you got into this because you want to win they won the big 10 sure. they won the big 10 alright they, they had confetti for that it's cute it's real cute 2014. Jim Delaney gave him a trophy on the stage. Look. Called him champions. Of the Cotton Bowl. No, of the Big Ten. Nah. Yeah, okay, of the Big Ten. Not JT Barrett was playing on one leg. JT Barrett played very on emotional. one leg a lot of times when he probably should have been playing on one, playing on one leg. leg is why Cardell Jones is in the NFL right now. But the point is, they lost in 2014. They lost the year they won the championship in 2014. And no, Braxton Miller was not on the field for that, but he was still a leader in that locker room. And he was one of the people who was saying that, who got this team back on track. JT Bear started to emerge as a leader that season as well. They don't have that guy where it's like everybody. It doesn't seem like they have that one guy who who has been there in some form or capacity who can pull this team back on track. So it seemed like they had to play their way out of it. And the way J.K. Dobbins talked in his very short answers in his post-game interview. J.K. Dobbins talks short. Yeah. It's, he is short. He talks short. It's amazing. It's okay. It's, it fits him. It seems like that was their way of going about this, where they kind of played their way out of it. And they got better in the second half. And in the first half, it was... Other than Dobbins, a lot of things were slow. Yeah, they had the pump block for a safety, but that was like a short blip in a first half that was really ugly for both sides. All right, I'm going to end it with this. The defense has adjusted to not give up big plays, so they are going to give up yards. If you think giving up yards is a sign of a bad defense, this defense is going to drive you crazy. I do not think... If they had held Nebraska to 14 in the first half and until the the K.J. Hill fumble... In the final five minutes of the, of the first half, I thought they were going to hold Nebraska to 14 because I thought, okay, Ohio State's going to drive here. Even if Ohio State doesn't score, they're going to eat up enough clock. Nebraska won't get it back. Instead, he fumbles. It's a short field. All of a sudden, it's 21. They gave up 10 in the second half. 31s, I mean, you can't give up 31 every week, but I'm just telling you, a lot of people get wound up about yards. People are yelling in my Twitter timeline late in the second quarter, and they've only given up 14 points. I know they've given up yards and they've given up drives. This is what they are doing so they don't give up 93-yard slants. It is an adjustment, 
And like I tweeted during the game, hey, they're missing Jeffrey Okuda, Nick Bosa, and Jordan Fuller right now. Before the season, I would have guessed that's three of their five best defenders. And somebody was like, well, you know, who cares? That's ex- Okay, I understand that. But players are different. Their yeah. backups aren't as good as them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be backups. So Urban Meyer is hanging a lot on them getting healthy. I think it's possible that next week, if their secondary is Brendan White and Jordan Fuller at safety, a three-man corner rotation of Arnett, Okuda, and Sheffield, and Sean Wade back at slot corner, that will be the best secondary they've put on the field this year. 100%. I think if J.K. Dobbins is back, that's a big deal. I think if they have a jumbo package, they can rely on it in the red zone, and that is somewhat solved, that's a big deal. I think this team can still play better than it has played. I think they can marry the Dwayne Haskins pass game to this different run game in a way that they didn't do today. I think maybe we'll see more Baron Browning. I think they can still do some fixes with the linebackers. The defense is not going to be great. They're trying to maybe be good. In the meantime, maybe they'll be okay. I think they can be better than what you saw today. So I would not give up hope. But if you're waiting for a great defense, watch Michigan. They're shutting out Penn State right now. You're not going to get... really married to Michigan right now. I thought Mich- I picked Michigan to make the playoff before the year. I picked Ohio State to make the playoff, too. I knew Michigan was going to be good. Work? I had a whole plan. It, did, it didn't work. I know. One of them was going to be undefeated, and the other one was going to win, go on, and then you were going to have like a Big Ten champ and yeah. then a one-loss team. Yeah, that theory worked very well the last time you had two teams named Ohio State and Michigan maybe going to play for a national championship. Yeah, exactly. Like in 2006. Yeah, yeah. if the winner had a playoff then, both would have made it. Because they were undefeated going to that game. They were one versus two. Right, but the point of the matter is only one of them got to play for the national championship. No, because it wasn't a four-team playoff then. I understand that. But what I'm saying is there was only one who had the opportunity. Like, even now, I don't think they're going to put both those guys. It's a four-team playoff. It was a two-team playoff then. Michigan has a loss already. No, I know. This was before the season. Oh, you're saying before the season. So you're saying... Yeah, you weren't here. You didn't have to make a pick and put (laughs) your reputation on the line. So are you... Wait, who was going to be the undefeated team? I said it could have gone either way, but for instance, mm. if Michigan was undefeated, Throw a tea to totter. I wish you would have picked. Black. All right, well, uh, uh, it's too late. Now. Listen, you're season. covering basketball this year. Before they play Cincinnati, we're getting your predictions on the record. So, okay. the, first, <laughs> so the first time you're wrong, <laughs> I'm going to say, you to, oh, I don't care if you're right or wrong. I just want you to pick a side. Like you can't Steve go and go either way. That's wishy-washy. Ask these people if I'm wishy-washy. I get on this podcast three hours a week and scream nonsense. The last thing I am is wishy-washy. I do have jelly beans in my mouth, though. All right. Don't give up. I don't think they're trending down. That was not great today. I think they have a chance to be better. The turnovers were bad. Turnovers are random sometimes. And I think if they hadn't had two really bad turnovers in the first half, I think their offense would have found a way to get going a little more than it did. So... That's like a lot of excuses, um, but I think a healthier defense that has changed its plan and an offense that doesn't turn it over and has changed its plan, both have changed their plans. Make sure you understand that. I think they have a shot. I'm not predicting them to beat Michigan right now. I think they'll win next week, and I think they'll have a shot. Uh, They're going to be an underdog at home against Michigan. Think about that. They're going to be an underdog at home against Michigan. Wrap your brains around that, Buckeye fans. Say that statement. We'll look it up. Look it up, Steven. Right I'm going to have to go. I'm busy going to be wishy-washy while you uh, look up stats. <laughs> um, all right. So thanks, you guys, for listening. Make sure you're following 
uh, us on Twitter at Doug Lane Maurice, at Buckeye Talk Pod, at Stephen with the PH underscore means, M E A N S. Email us at Buckeye Talk Pod at Gmail. We'll have a lot of stuff coming this week. Steven's in here full time. Uh, I've been trying to hold it down for a couple weeks, but it's kind of hard to do it by yourself, especially when the Browns fire their coach. I had to write a lot about that. Um, but Steven is all Ohio State all the time. He'll be at the basketball game on Wednesday when Ohio State plays at Cincinnati, and we'll have a lot of football coverage, obviously, this week as well. So, Steven, did you enjoy your first Buckeye talk, or did you kind of think that I talked too much? No, I think this is great. I told you, you're the stereotypical dad. Yeah, he broke me down. He broke down my entire existence in one sentence, you're like dad. in the first five minutes today. Tell him. You're a dad, man, in every sense of the way. Like, genuinely, you don't act any different with your kids. I can feel this. This is who you are. You own it, and you're okay with it. As long as you're okay with it, it's fine. I can't... What are you, 25? I'm 24. I can't tell... Don't age me. I can't tell if that's a compliment or... It's not a criticism. I mean, if you're taking, I told you, don't take offense to it. If you're all, listen, if you want to appreciate it and own it, it's not a criticism. It's only a criticism if you feel like it's criticism. No, I, I, I pretty much own it. It was probably like the realest thing anybody ever said about me in my See? life. That I am a dad. Because part of it is, Stephen, I think that you understand this too, is I'm sort of like the, hey, everybody, like dad joke kind of guy. Yeah. But I'm also a mean a-hole. Which dads are sometimes too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's I, – I encompass all sides of Your fatherhood. Father. All right. Thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be back with a uh, midweek Buckeye talk on Wednesday when Stephen will dive in for that two-hour extravaganza for the first time. But for now, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.